Welcome to a special edition of Breaking Badness. In this bonus episode, you'll hear from Tony Robinson, aka DA underscore 667 on Mastodon. He's a threat researcher at Proofpoint, and Tim Helming and I talk with him about his path to cybersecurity, information stealers, who he is outside of the industry, and more. This bonus episode of Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to our special episode of Breaking Badness, recorded on September 12th, 2023. With us today is threat researcher Tony Robinson. I'm also joined by Domain Tools Security Evangelist Tim Helming. And I'm your co-host for the day, Callie Fensel. With that, welcome to the podcast, Tony. We are very excited to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, this is a lovely uh, opportunity. You know, I just thought it was really interesting. You know, I was kind of saying like a I was looking for conferences or someplace to speak at, and uh, your guys' podcast came up, and um, you guys were wonderful and inviting me over, and I appreciate it. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Like, like when you were, like, uh, selfishly, um, when you were searching, what, what did you type in where we came up? I was just like, uh, <laughs> well, it had been a little while. I had done a couple of talks at the concert circuit, like, pre-COVID, and then I kind of, you know, I, I used to talk a good bit, but um, then I was like does anybody have any conferences or any talks coming up? And like you guys is, you guys came up as a topic. Uh, and uh, I was like, sure, I'll talk. I'll, I'll talk all day. Like, uh, cause, uh, we had done, uh, I'd done podcasting on uh rally sec. Um, uh, that was an old podcast that I was involved in for a good while. So I was like, I've done podcasting before I could do it again. <laughs> Heck yeah. We're so glad you could join us today. Uh, and, and you've also been on proof points po- podcast too. Uh, yeah, the uh, discarded podcast. Um, yeah. I got a, had an opportunity to talk about like what life was like in the emerging threats team, and that was a good experience. Um, Selena is um, amazing at managing our podcast stuff. Great, yeah, that, I, I definitely. So I, you know, as I'm like looking, I, I'll I'll just say it. I was stalking you just a little bit, not in a weird way, but, <laughs> but I'm just. Oh, like, that's okay. fine. Yeah, he's. I was like, okay, he's been on this podcast too. That's pretty cool. Um, well, we'll, we'll start with, um, you know, the, the basics. Um, we, we definitely like to hear where our guests, you know, interest in, um, cybersecurity or info security, you know, began. So, um, can we start with, um, you know, your educational background and, and what drove you to, to where you are today? Uh, well, it started a, a good time ago, actually, when I was in um, high school, you know, I I tried uh, doing programming classes and um, I wasn't really excelling at them, but our school had a uh, a Cisco networking programs and I took a look at that and I figured, wow, um, systems and network administration seems like it's right up my alley. I like building things and, you know, making the hardware and software do the things that we, you know, that people need them to do. It sounded like it was right up my alley. So um, I started there and um, I got an associate's degree in network administration at uh, Henry Ford Community College up here in uh, Dearborn. Uh, then from there, you know, I took my credits there and I uh, got a a bachelor's in comp info system with a focus in information assurance. So um like right around that time, I had gotten very, very fortunate and I got a job uh, doing data center ops uh, on like nights and weekends. It was basically the shifts that nobody else wanted to work. 
which suited me fine because it was time for doing homework and, you know, occasionally uh, playing the playing a game of like a little bit of World of Warcraft or something like that, you know, in between uh, walking through the data center, to doing tape monkey stuff, you know, replacing backup tapes, um, pulling dead drives and all of that stuff. And uh, it was right around that time that I had discovered um, the 2600, uh, the hacker quarterly. And I started reading through it. I was like, wait, people get paid to break into computer systems. People get paid to just secure the stuff. And it really started piquing my interest and it all kind of rolled downhill from there. Um, at the time, you know, uh, me and my then girlfriend, now wife, were looking to um, move from Michigan for opportunities. And um, I ended up landing at Sourcefire and... Uh, that's where most of my blue team background comes from is I source fire pre Cisco merger. Um, they were responsible for managing snort and that's where I got a lot of my network security background, um, IDS and IPS technologies. And, uh, it all kind of progressed from there until, um, here, here I am now a senior researcher at, uh, at proof point emerging threats. Gotcha. And you said you were looking outside of Michigan, but but you're but you're still there. And so did you did you have to leave? So we left for opportunity because it was like this was like right around like the 2008, the subprime mortgage crisis era. And I was rubbing shoulders with people that had 15 to 20 years experience. And um, the other opportunity and my wife was a teacher and it was the same thing with her. She was having. You know, it was there was a lot of people who had much more experience than us, and we decided to move over towards the East Coast of Maryland for a while to um, work on our careers. So we ended up leaving the state for a little bit. But um, honestly, we ended up having to drive back like every summer and every winter to, to vacation here and see family and, you know, just uh, enjoy the familiar. And after a while, we just said, do you want to move back? And, you know, at that point, um, working from home and doing remote work was becoming, you know, more and more integrated with IT work. And um, the uh, education landscape in Michigan was a little less competitive. So we managed to land back here. And um, that's that's about it. I, I just asked because I love Michigan, which I guess I shouldn't as an Ohioan. <laughs> <laughs> but um well, it's I, funny because the job I had before Proofpoint, it was um, I was working for a company that was headquartered um, out of Ohio. Um, oh, yeah. I was. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was working with them like they made the like we had the, like the whole we had that whole thing going on. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't really, you know, ascribe to the, the rivalry part because, you know, <laughs> like we went to Detroit for the Henry Ford Museum. And if you are a nerd like I am, you love the museum. It's so big. It's like 13 museums in one. I wanted to go to that. I was, uh, I was in your general neck of the woods, uh, Tony, uh, a few weeks ago for vacation. I had a great time. It's so cool, Tim. You have to, but I, I, I yeah, just had I a brain fart. My, uh, <laughs> the previous employer I was talking about was hurricane labs. We did splunk work. So that's where I was. What was that? For oh, a few right. years. I so, met, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar uh, with Hurricane Labs. So uh, they were they're pretty good. They were really good folks to me. Um, I got a lot of I also got a lot of experience uh, writing for their for their blog as well and doing a lot of different research for them. But uh, uh, I'd have to say the thing I, I love most about the state is um, uh, the northern parts of Michigan, like uh, the Traverse City area. 
Um, I was that's there. A, I love be. I love going out there. Me and my family go out to that area practically every every summer and every fall. You know, to see the leaves change and everything. Oh, that it was beautiful. Nice. Yeah, we went to Mackinac. Oh, Mackinac is lovely too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can smell the horses though. You have to be <laughs> oh, okay with sure. that. <laughs> so, Tony, you've spent the majority of your career on the blue team. Um, can, can you talk a little bit why you prefer blue team over red team? For you know anybody that's thinking, you know, how how do I choose one over the other? Well. I've got so uh, I've got opinions, and I don't know if any if a lot of folks are going to appreciate them. Uh, but um, honestly, I well, first and foremost, I prefer blue team because I prefer to protect as opposed to break. It doesn't it doesn't cost a lot to break anything, you know. Uh, it's real easy to throw stones at a glass house. It's harder to put it back together when it's all done. So I. Um, you know, my background being in IT and information systems, I like building stuff. I like making it better and stronger and, you know, more durable and able to withstand load that much better. So blue team seemed like a pretty natural transition to me. And also there's a little bit of enmity where um, it's a cat and mouse game where the red team has something new that they put out and not all of not every time do they actually go through and tell you this is how you mitigate this threat they kind of just release it and then adversaries take advantage of that and we end up having to figure out how to clean up not only a mess from a penetration testing standpoint and a red teaming or purple teaming standpoint but now we have adversaries using the same tools and it's what do we do about it and having to consistently brainstorm and figure out ways to detect different types of threats you know so I can't say that I appreciate the cat and mouse game, but in a kind of cynical way, it keeps us employed. Um, but uh, that's kind of my opinion on it. Um, that's why I prefer blue team, because I just prefer to build as opposed to break. I like that. Very. I think that's a, a noble answer. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I always have that. I feel that tension when I think about how... I hate what the bad guys are doing, but they are providing us job security. And I just have to reconcile those things in my brain. Right. And there's also the aspect of, you know, we can make the recommendations. However, if we end up reading about a breach because the recommendations are followed are not followed later, it's like, you know, I, there's only so much I can do as a professional. As a professional, I can uh, make my recommendations. I can tell you how to do it, but I can't make you do it. It's kind of like parenting. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so you've been a threat researcher with Proofpoint for almost two years. Can you share a little bit with us of what it is you specifically work on there? Uh, well, I'm a member of the Emerging Threats team. Um, ET was acquired by Proofpoint some years ago, and they're most well known for the uh, Suricata and Snort rule sets that we put out. Um, ET Open being the open rule set where um, anybody can download it for free. And then ET Pro being the uh, pro rule set where you pay a subscription and you might get access to uh, special rules and things that we discovered in our own sandboxes and, you know, through um, private partnerships and whatnot. That's the primary difference between the two of them. The fact of the matter is, is that 90 percent of the stuff we put out ends up in the ET open list because we usually get tip ups from our users or 
tip-ups from other researchers. Uh, either they might be independent researchers or researchers with another company or organization. And, you know, we come through their research reports on recent threats. Uh, for an example, uh, just today, I was looking at uh, Symantec's report for uh, uh, Redfly and the um, shadow pad implant that they were using. Um, I can probably link to that in chat and, you know, kind of give people an idea of what I'm looking at. Um, but this is a perfect example. Um, Symantec releasing research on this and then us going through the report and seeing, well, here's the file hashes. Here's the domains. Can we pivot off of that? Are there any sandbox runs where there's packet captures? So for that reason, because it came from an external source, you know, we feel it's right to give back to the community and make sure it gets into the ET open rule set. You know, what you describe is so similar to something that we do um, all the time is we see some kind of a threat report go out and where we have network related IOCs like domains and IPs. Well, we go into our IRIS investigate tool and we pivot around like crazy. And often we find a lot of stuff that was not in the original report, but that you can tell is connected to uh, to the actual thing. Exactly. Like uh, I'm, we're very fortunate to have access to uh, virus total intelligence and they happen to have a PCAP for one of the P one of the implants. And uh, that's what I'm looking at today is, uh, OK, what's unique about this that I can create into a signature, you know, to capture um, call outs or callbacks from the C2. Um, so that's that's uh, in a nutshell. If I had to describe my job in like a sentence, it's I look at PCAPs all day. I look for patterns in the traffic and I try to build detections off of those patterns that I see. So if I'm making a callback to your cloud to pull down the latest uh, uh, rule sets, would that be considered ET phone home? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly have to say that one of the things I love most about this job is that there is a sense of object permanence. And I know that's a little weird to talk about, but when you create signatures or you create rules and they end up in the rule set that day, and then you go and you look at the telemetry or the sandbox data or public sandbox data, and you see your rules triggering, you know that something good is ha happening out there. That's what I mean by object permanence. You know, a lot of us who do um, auditing or even the, you know, the, the red team and pen testers, when they have to write up reports and recommendations and they're doing the right thing to tell you what you need to patch and fix and remediate, you don't always get that um, satisfaction and permanence knowing that those recommendations were followed. Yeah, no, I can imagine how satisfying it is to see those things firing in the wild. That's cool. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so Tony, I wanted to, you know, just ask on, on a recording, uh, you and I had an intro call, um, before the the labor day holiday and and you were so deep in the state of flow which i you know like i i'm so interested in that topic um you know like looking into research that you know we had to reschedule our call um but i was wondering can you talk about what you were doing that day like and kind of just tease what's coming out at proof point so i i can't say too much about it because we wrote a lot of details into the blog post and um it's going through a review right now but um at the time um i was uh just kind of chilling on, on mastodon you know that's another source of intel and a place that we look for information is through social media you know just like uh there's an infosec twitter there's infosec mastodon and um i got 
um, I got contacted by a person over at Malwarebytes about a, an interesting piece of malware. It's like, hey, have you seen this before? None of the ET rules that you have are firing on this. And I take a look at it. This is like, this is pretty unique. I haven't seen anything like this before. It does all of this uh, uh, coded C2. It has like different, st- you know, like there's this custom command and control protocol it does. And then the very next minute, it dumps its logs and plain text o- over the wire. And I'm like, what's what's going on here? So, you know, long story short, uh, we're calling this threat Zenrat. And if you guys are curious out there, whoever is listening, we have coverage for this threat in the Emerging Threats open rule set. All you have to do is uh, search for Zenrat. And I've got something like a, a dozen different signatures that I managed to come up with when I was uh, uh, looking at the analysis and looking at the network traffic for this thing. So uh, that's all I have for right now, but there's going to be more details uh, very, very soon. That's awesome. I Yeah, I'm very interested in um, sharing that with our audience once it's ready. Do you have um, like a time frame of when we might be able to see that blog or is it just still kind of TBD? Um. Last I heard, it's going to be about a week or two weeks, Ooh, roughly. Perfect. Yeah. So and we're recording this on September 12th, just for reference for folks that are listening. To crossing my fingers. In but, a relative uh, time scale. Yeah, that's the last thing that I heard. It was about uh, a week to two weeks out. Ooh, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to be following that closely just to to close the loop for our, for our uh, listeners. So, you know, Tony, we love to ask. Uh, our guests about something that they're passionate about in the field of the cybersecurity space. And, you know, it could either be something they're positively passionate about and happy about or something that's really grinding their gears. So one of the topics that you have mentioned was information stealers. So can you talk about that a little bit? What, like what discoveries have you made or seen regarding information stealers that maybe a lot of folks in the community won't be quite as aware of? Well, um, I think it's pretty hard uh, at this point, you know, to, you know, to say for, for us in the community that uh, information stealers are kind of like a, a hidden threat. You know, uh, we see a lot of them every single day. There's always another threat research report on another variant of an information stealer, or at least from uh, our perspective, uh, some of our independent researchers and some of the other um, organizations out there always seem to have new information or new variants of different information sealers that have come out recently. Um, the reason I don't like them in particular and why I focus a lot of effort on them is that they um, do a lot more damage than people think. You know, when most people look at information stealers, they look at um, they're tricking a child into downloading a Roblox add-on that is uh, that is also an information stealer or they're tricking somebody into watching a YouTube video that has a download link to a stealer. And, you know, they're saying, oh, they're stealing their Roblox passwords. They're stealing Steam passwords. They're stealing YouTube accounts. Well, um, there were a couple of cases where I've seen uh, video blogs on YouTube of uh, high profile um, individuals who are, you know, who have like the YouTube plaques and everything on the channel who have gotten their accounts compromised and you know, had their accounts replaced with like Elon Musk and um, cryptocurrency scams and stuff like that. So, you know, that has a real world impact to them and the, to their followers, you know, to um, have their accounts hijacked like that. And uh, not only that, these information stealers do more than just steal, you know, accounts for 
entertainment or for video gaming, you know, they'll steal whatever browser cookies or browser store credentials they can get a hold of. And that has bleed over into other things. Like I want to say it was the Uber hack that ultimately was the result of um, an information stealer that stole credentials ended up on a, a hacking forum or a credential exchange forum. Um, the adversaries purchased those credentials and then used those credentials in combination with um, the two-factor authentication um, exhaustion attack, where they just keep asking for access, asking for access, and then eventually the user just gives up and says, here you go, fine, have whatever access you want. You know, there are situations like that where uh, credentials end up stolen and they end up on credential exchanges and they end up causing a lot more impact. So um, that's my personal beef with them is that they have a bigger impact and they're also pretty noisy a lot of the times. They're very, the, the kind of profile or the kind of way I describe info stealers is that they're very smash and grab. They'll run in, they'll grab whatever they can. They don't care about persistence. They don't care about slow and slow. They just want to grab everything that they can, zip it up into a zip file and shovel it to the C2. And we don't care if you saw it. It's out of your hands now. So, you know, as of when we're recording this over the past month or so, we've seen raccoon stealer coming back from their hiatus. And so can you tell folks a little bit about that particular one? So I have... um. An amusing story about that is um, not long ago uh, when they came out with Raccoon Stealer version two, um, one of our independent researchers out there, uh, James in the box, he he reached out to me and said, I saw this info stealer. I don't know what it is, but it's very noisy. And I took a look at it and, you know, started writing signatures for it. And I was like, OK, um, I don't want to name this thing. I don't see a whole lot of detections and virus total to name it after something. What would you like to name it? And he says, I don't know. I was like, um, well, the user agent says record. How about we call it record breaker? He's like, that's fine with me. And then we ended up uh, publishing uh, in the emerging threats rule set. We ended up calling it record breaker. And then um, the research community kind of took that name. And now it's like between, no, this isn't record breaker. This is raccoon V2. Some uh, another one of our, teammates or other researchers in the community said like look at these two things they're pretty similar so um they ended up getting two tags raccoon v2 and record breaker as the dual malware tag because of you know just us not being decisive about what we wanted to name it well it's so, kind of like the feeding frenzy over naming apt groups exactly uh, so that was one aspect. And then the other aspect, I heard the reason why the um, hiatus happened in the first place. The rumor was, is that one of the developers was um, uh, was killed uh, during the uh, Russo-Ukraine war that's going on right now. Uh, that's what I had heard, but it's hard to uh, validate rumors like that. Uh, that's about all the information I got, other than, you know, we keep a constant pulse on them and we make sure that uh, if the rules that we have need to be updated or modified in any way, uh, we try to keep up with that as best we can. So one more thing on uh, on this topic of these stealers. Um, any thoughts, Tony, on the news of a whole bunch of hacking forums uh, being exposed by InfoStealer malware? I was actually kind of fascinated by that. I'd, I hadn't heard much about it. Um, and then I saw the bleeping uh, computer report on it. And 
how um, a lot of these actors are infecting themselves with their Steeler malware and getting their creds dumped. And I was just like, this, this sounds like karmic balance. This sounds, this sounds pretty hilarious. I was just going to say karma. Yep. You know, Uh, that's what I was thinking when I first heard it is, uh, you know, it goes back to what I was saying about info stealers being a much bigger threat than most people realize is that they will take whatever credentials they could find. A lot of them have file stealing components where they'll steal other files in certain directories, you know. So you gather all that information and it ends up um, on credential with credential brokers who will say, I have access to this network or this organization or this system and I'm willing to sell it for this amount of money, you know? So I kind of feel like it's just desserts in this case. Absolutely. It's kind of like the Spider-Man, the three Spider-Men, like where they're pointing at each other. It's just like, it doesn't matter who, (laughs) whose credentials they are. They're, they're all up for grabs. It sounds like. Yeah. And, you know, in those communities, um, like hacking forums and whatnot, they're all extremely critical of one another. So anything that they can do to one up one another, they'll absolutely do it. I didn't realize that. That's really interesting. Like I so, Tony, I don't I don't know if I mentioned like in, in our call, like I'm I'm newer to the industry about 18 months in. So so hearing news like this is always just like so fascinating to me. Well, like how. Can- Congratulations. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's always interesting to see like the rivalries. Um, I kind of I don't know if either of you guys have this perspective, but um, uh, software cracking in particular uh, being one example where there is a lot of rivalry between we figured out how to break this protection for this piece of software and this is how we did it. And there will be rivalries between these different groups that are that were responsible for breaking software protections and they would just torch one another. And it's kind of the same thing with these hacking forums and hacking groups. You know, occasionally there's rivalries where they will just torch one another and they'll say, these guys are terrible and here's why. And, you know, it's just a lot of rivalry. It's crazy. And I mean, I think it kind of segues into, into my next question, which was about, um, you know, organizations, you know, that are, you know, like Proofpoint, like domain tools, sharing information with each other. And it sounds, you know, it, it not it sounds like they, I mean, these, uh, these threat groups share information with each other up until a point, it sounds like un, until it doesn't serve them anymore. Um, but I think that's fascinating. But, um, you know, to talk about like the above board um, organizations sharing information that's something that you had said that that's something you're passionate about within the community is is that that element of of teamwork and um you know are are there some examples that you could share with us on you know sharing uh information that you know has that has fueled your research uh well i can say for sure that um um that information sharing is the kind of like core value for the emerging threats open list uh like we said before you know Everything that goes into the ET open rule set is usually information that either we have from um, other organizations and the security research they publish or from independent researchers providing rules or providing uh, uh, malware samples for us to take a look at. So we value that a lot. And um, even more recently with the uh, the Zenrat uh, malware that I'm 
that we're taking a look at right now, that was the result of a contact at Malwarebytes uh, getting a hold of me and saying, hey, have you seen this before? I haven't seen anything like this in your guys' rule set. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Um, then also we have, you know, there's information exchanges and chat channels where we'll say, um, say like there is a research blog post and there's a lot of file-based indicators or maybe a couple of domains and IP addresses, I'll usually be the one to ask in the chat channel, does anybody have packet captures or network information? And once in a good while, you know, we hit the spirit of um, camaraderie here and they'll come and give me network information and, you know, give me what I need to uh, build the detections for the rule set, you know, that everybody can benefit from. So, um, there is a, a lot of collaboration that we rely on on our day to day. Yeah, for sure. I, I can I can imagine. Um, can we also talk about it in kind of in the same vein is um, the passion you have for educating the community? I know you said one of the reasons you were excited to, to come on our podcast was for for community outreach. So um, what what would be, you know, a few things you'd like newer members of the community to take away like myself. <laughs> so uh, the first thing I want to do is I want to make sure that I uh, plug our community site for emerging threats. So that is uh, community.emergingthreats.net. Um, that is a, if you are curious about learning more information about Suricata, or if you're curious about sharing research or learning about like different aspects about how and why we process rules in a certain way or how we, or why these rules are written in a particular way. Um, that's usually where we share the most information with our community. That's also an opportunity for new community members to ask questions, to share their observations at, you know, and even submit their own rules. We're uh, we're very open minded and we try to treat all of our community members with respect. You know, um, an example, um, recent example being that uh, we had. Uh, let me see if I can pull up an example real quick here. We had um, Jane Osent with Any.Run. Um, she is one of our regulars that shows up in the forums and will uh, give us sandbox runs for Any.Run, which is a, uh, a public and private uh, sandboxing platform. There's a free tier for researchers to make use of, and your sandbox runs are kind of made public for everybody to benefit from. And then there's the paid tier where you get a little bit of privacy. But uh, Jane will come in really frequently and give us rules and give us links to um, sandbox runs that include packet captures. And, you know, the most I'll do is I'll say, you know, I'll be of course, I'll say, you know, my thanks for the rules and the information. And I'll offer a couple of recommendations. Here's a couple of places where I improve the rule and here's why I did what I did. You know, it's very uh, we try and reinforce positive feedback as opposed to saying you know, as opposed to being negative and saying like this rule doesn't meet our standards and then having to make uh, the users guess what those standards are. We don't do that there, you know. So um, I know that was a lot of a verbal diarrhea, but uh... <laughs> it's, it's a podcast. Right. <laughs> no, no, that's that's what we that's what you're here for is uh, is sharing your thoughts. So so I guess uh, the first thing I wanted to say was, um, of course, plugging the uh, Emerging Threats community site. Join us. We would love to have you. Um, and then um, 
for new members coming to the community, there are tons of free resources out there for uh, doing your own analysis. If you're more, if you're interested in detonating malware, or if you're interested in looking at new samples that have come out, um, abuse.ch's uh, malware bazaar and uh, threat fox being uh, two great examples of sites where you can get uh, samples and network indicators for free. Um, Any.run being a free sandboxing platform. And then there is, um, there's a triage. It's a literally tria.ge is a, another sandboxing engine. You have to kind of get approved to uh, use their sandbox platform. But I find it interesting that occasionally when I run malware on other sandboxes and it doesn't provide me any feedback, I'll run it on triage and I will get all sorts of traffic that I wouldn't have gotten before, either because um, the sandbox isn't profiled or they have ways of hiding that it's a malware sandbox that the malware doesn't understand or isn't able to detect. So, you know, that might give me a little bit more data. So those are a couple of cool things for researchers out there to take a look at if you're new to the community, um, free resources. And then um, the last thing I wanted to uh, quickly talk about was um, I wrote a couple of books as well, you know, to kind of uh, foster education for the community. Um, I wrote a book on setting up your own virtualization lab um, that can be found at leadpub.com slash avatar two. It's uh, building virtual machine labs. And I'm working on one other book, which is a book for um, actually uh, learning a little bit more about Suricata. Uh, Suricata and Operator's Guide, and that is at also at LeanPub at Suri underscore operator. So that's leanpub.com slash Suri underscore operator. And uh, both of those books can be had for free. There's a suggested price for the uh, Avatar 2 book, the Building Virtual Machine Labs book, but there's a scroller on the page that you can set it all the way down to free, and you could download the PDF for free for that as well. Yeah, I saw it on, uh, on your Mastodon, your promoting the book, but saying, you know, you don't want to push people to buy it if they can get it for free. But, but yeah, is, is there uh, anything that you want to talk about regarding those books, like the process behind writing them or? Well, uh, um, the virtual labs book was a very long process. Uh, there was a volume one book that was 600 pages. And then the second book exploded in length because it was, it was self-published. Both these books are um, all, all three of them, I guess, if you're including the Suricata book, which is still a work in progress. Um, all of them were self-published. So the first one was about 600 pages, and I got a lot of positive community feedback on it. I would uh, release, uh, do iterative releases with it, and I'd uh, share what I was working on with the community, and then I finally published it. And I kind of let I, um let it set out there for a few years and it was a pretty good guide. A lot of people were happy with it. I was ecstatic to see university professors adding it to their course curriculum. Um, I've heard from places all over the planet, you know, like organizations all over the place, uh, purchasing it and downloading the PDF. And I was just ecstatic. And then, you know, I took some of that feedback and, uh, newer versions of the same software, and I offered um, a lot more troubleshooting guidance along the way, but uh, that also caused the page count to explode. So <laughs> it went from like 600 pages to over a thousand when I was done. 
Oh, wow. That's and, inf- it's like infinite jest. Right. So <laughs> like a lot of, you know, like a lot of people are intimidated, like when they see a textbook that's a thousand pages, but it's kind of written as a choose your own adventure thing. Like here's five different hypervisors that this book will help you set up a baseline lab environment on. And depending on which one you want to use, you don't need to read the other hundreds of some odd pages on the different hypervisors. Jump to this page, jump to that page. Here's and then here's a couple of extra techniques and things that you can use to customize your lab further when you're done. So it sounds like it's a huge book in reality, but in reality, it's a little bit smaller if depending on what hypervisor and what configuration settings you're interested in. Okay. Yeah. That. Okay. Now it sounds more manageable. <laughs> right. And like also a lot of that, I, I am a believer in, uh, you know, helping visual learners in addition to book learners, everybody learns a different way. So there are a lot of illustrations and a lot of click this button and here's an arrow and a flow chart that shows you what the next button's supposed to look like, you know, for people mm-hmm. to make sure that they are, in the right configuration page or uh, clicking the right settings or installing the right things in the correct order, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Is there an audiobook? No audiobook, but I did have I do have a video based training. It's a little bit long in the tooth right now. It's um it's on um networkdefense.io. That's uh Chris Sanders' uh uh training platform. Um I got I got um a a video recording of some of the older stuff. Um, I haven't really had the time to update it there, but uh, it is available if people are interested in uh, video-based learning as well. Sanders' stuff is great. He he is um, amazing at what he does. Um, I have taken both of his... Uh, I have taken his uh, uh, threat hunting uh, class as well as the... Um, I want to say it was... Um, the applied learning or no, I forgot the name of it. Goodness. It's been a hot minute, but in generally speaking, I'm very impressed with the amount of work he puts into his uh, video based learning. That's awesome. Very cool. I'm going to, you know, add that to our show notes as well. If, if people want to check that out. Um, okay. Yeah. If, uh, w- just to pivot a little bit, this has been a great conversation, uh, Tony, uh, but we can't leave here without talking about who you are outside of your work. Um, actually, before we started recording, I, I, I want this on the recording because I thought it was interesting. Um, Tim had asked you about your your Mastodon handle. And um, can, can we talk about um, the origin of, of how you arrived at that particular handle? So um, my handle is a DA underscore six, six, seven. It's a shortening of what I originally wanted my handle to be. Uh, uh, DA stands for digital arcanist. Um, I picked that name because um, in most fantasy series, um, arcanists are considered like scholars or wizards or people who go and seek out secret information and they share it with others. You know, they do the research and they share it with everybody. That's their passion. So that's what I wanted. You know, that's a basis for my handle. And then the other half is um, anime nerdery. Um, (laughs) If you guys out there are familiar with the end of Evangelion, there is a special director's cut where there's commentary from the crew. And there was one scene in that where 
um, the main characters are in a uh, parking garage and there is a spot labeled 667. And then one of the uh, commentators is like 667, neighbor of the beast. And I just thought it was funny and I just kind of included it there. I like that. I, um, you know, as I'm like researching for this conversation, I, I was curious about your handle too. So I was just like, is that the area code for Detroit? So I'm like Googling <laughs> it and it's not. So I was like, so that's not it. <laughs> But um, I just wanted you to know the lengths that I'm going to prep for this particular conversation, Tony. We leave no stone unturned. <laughs> for sure. That I, is impressive open source research, I've got to say. <laughs> I, I I appreciate that. I am I am nothing if not a reporter. <laughs> but um, yeah, I you know just to share you know with our listeners, we we like to talk to our guests about you know, interests and hobbies, you know, outside of outside of the industry. So, you know, I was hoping you could, you know, share share what, what you're into, you know, when you're not at work. Uh, so I got to, you know, I like I said a minute ago, I'm a stereotypical nerd. I like anime. I like reading comics, but um, also um, more uh, the, the stranger things out there is um, I I like blacksmithing as well. Um, I don't get to do it terribly often, but um, one of the things that I got to do was uh, uh, my wife planned this all in secret. And there's there was a blacksmithing course uh, about a, an hour or two away from where I live. So she got a voucher from for to do the class, gave it to me at Christmas. I went out there and I um, I made my first knife out there. And then um, more recently, there's um, a, a little town in the middle of like the lower peninsula uh frankenmuth so it's kind of like modeled after um a bavarian village christmas town yes yes it's christmas all the time there yeah there's bronner's the christmas shop and all of that and they have um a little area where they have the bavarian blacksmithing shop and um around my birthday um my wife uh and all of our friends kind of went out there and we all decided to do different things and i made a I made it, I made a knife out of a uh, railroad spike. That was like one of their uh, projects that you could do where they give you a railroad spike and they kind of guide you through, um, you know, they throw it on the forge. They guide you where to strike. They tell you uh, when to strike and how hard and what areas. And then they kind of handle the finishing touches for you. Uh, so I had a wonderful time doing both of those. Uh, and this so- is all, uh, all by hand. This is no uh, mechanical trip hammer doing it. Uh, so you get a, there's a little bit of like, they have a couple of tools here and there, like to hold it in place and to like kind of twist it. And they, they did have like a couple of tools, but, but for the most part, like hammering it into shape, uh, that's, that's you with a, with a nine pound hammer and then saying hit, 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 hit. <laughs> that sounds amazing. We've got a, uh, a pretty good blacksmith on our customer support team, by the way. He's, we uh, do? he's made, yeah, Barry. Ask Barry <gasps> oh my God, that's amazing. Oh Yeah. He's got some neat stuff. What? Oh my gosh. I'm lo- yeah. So that's like a, a once in a while thing. And like, it's my eventual dream, you know, somewhere down the line to have a garage big enough to where I can get an anvil and get like one of the propane torches and, you know, maybe not set myself on fire, but maybe try my hand at making my own knives, you know? This is so cool. I was not expecting to go in this direction at all. So this, this is, is why we so... ask these questions. So yes. I, like, I like that. You know, I like a little bit of woodworking here and there. Like I don't have a lot of uh, I don't have a lot of tools for it because we don't have a lot of room. 
And um, I keep telling my wife, I'm going to buy more woodworking stuff. I was like, where are you going to put it? We have two cars <laughs> in our garage and room for nothing else. Where are you putting this? Like, I'll find a way. <laughs> I do some light woodworking myself. Um, and I, I just got to tell you, when when you want to do that stuff, the cars just have to go elsewhere <laughs> for a right. little while. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just like try to I try to do it in the, the warmer months so that my car is not getting all the the lake effect snow on it but it's just like that's how i'm making do for the time being but i don't know if that's helpful advice but yeah i know what you mean by that um like right now i'm kind of sticking to uh simpler stuff like i got um a, car- a carving kit um actually it was one of the things <laughs> another thing that my wife got me for the holidays is like a, a carving kit it's a really small set like for carving spoons but i was like these are actually pretty neat tools to have you know for whittling wood and whatnot like there's um all sorts of like different knives and different uh, tools for like carving out little pieces of wood, you know, and different angles and whatnot. So uh, whenever I have a little bit of time, I'll usually work with that. But uh, aside from that, you know, um, I don't know if this is something that's typical of most other people, but I'll share it anyway. Um, You know, once in a while uh, on the weekends, we'll usually get our dogs. Uh, We'll get our Bassets. We'll put them in the backseat of our car and we'll go for a drive. And, I guess you'd call it you probably uh, the derogatory term would probably be stalking. But like we kind of just like we'll pick up uh, some Starbucks or we'll pick up some ice cream and like we'll pick a neighborhood and we'll just drive through it. And we'll just like kind of like, oh, I like the landscaping here. I like this or I like that. I was like, what is that at the side of their house? Do they actually what is that? Is that an outdoor? Is that like an outdoor kitchen? I was like, you're kidding me. You know, so like. (laughs) Just going through different neighborhoods and seeing how different people live in different communities in the area. And like we've been here for like five or six years now, and there's always new stuff that we're discovering around here, like not just the, you know, the different houses, but also like beautiful parks in the area that I was like, I never realized that this was so close, you know. When my mom was a little girl, she and her friends used to just go into people's houses when they weren't there and look around wait what my god what (laughs) go back go back what oh you know well the statute of limitations has run out because this was in the 50s but uh yeah apparently that was a thing they used to do recreational reconnaissance shall we call it oh my gosh that is so (laughs) funny oh my gosh (laughs) i heard that like what that thing was like something pretty common like that most people like in the mid in their mid-30s do is like they'll just go through other people's neighborhoods or the uh the lazier way of doing it without getting in the car is like going to Trulia or going to um the other um real estate sites and just looking at people's houses and saying like what were they thinking? <laughs> I want somebody to make a plug-in for Google Maps where when you're in the street view where you can just kind of drive along instead of having to tap the damn arrows each time because I'd like to just drive through neighborhoods that way. <laughs> it's funny you say that though tony because my husband and i do the same thing like we'll like we we might drive to the neighborhood and park and just walk around and like see what's up and like get a treat like if there is some like if there's something right. local there that we don't have it's like well, now we're gonna get this custard and pet other people's outdoor cats <laughs> oh, it's funny because like uh we had a, a similar situation we went to um um, a town in our area called Plymouth. It's a very beautiful area. And like, we just decided like, it was like during Christmas last year, we went out there, we brought the dogs. It was a bit of a drive. So at that point I was like, you know, it's not fair to leave them in the car. Let's get out for a minute. Walk, walk one of the neighborhoods and, you know, 
let them let them stretch their legs, do do their business. And we were walking our dogs and um, somebody looked out the window, saw our basset hounds like, oh, my God, you have basset hounds. I can't believe it. And then, like, they called their neighbor and their neighbor brought their basset hound out to meet with ours. Oh, that's so cute. It was adorable. They're like celebrities. You don't see that a lot. I love yeah, that. I got I got two. One of them is a uh, kind of a, a solid brown uh, basset hound. Um, his, his name is Henry. And then we have a um, kind of like golden brown and white one. Uh, um, they're uh, eight years old and five years old. So they're still relatively young and like they're 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 sleeping right now. Oh, we got a little dog ramp for them. And like they'll either sleep in the dog bed or uh, the little one, Sammy, is smart. He'll just jump up the jo- the dog ramp and get in the bed and just lay in it. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I'm sure if I saw basset hounds in my neighborhood, I'd run outside, too. I feel that way every time I see the neighborhood Dalmatian. Oh, yeah. See, and then I'm just I tell my husband, like, that guy's just walking the dog as if he doesn't realize it's a celebrity. Like, <laughs> We might have to come up with some kind of a dog related standing segment on breaking badness or pet related in general i mean the cat community is pretty important i know well. my, my my buddy my cat just popped up here i was worried you'd, you'd start to hear him meowing because he's he's upset that i'm talking to to you both and not to him <laughs> so but the, yeah this this has been really fun though tony um we we really appreciate you coming on our show and you know sharing you know what you do and it was very fun to learn about blacksmithing that's so cool um is there is there anything you want to plug before before we leave any conferences you'll be at or um so i submitted to code mash in ohio um but i don't know whether or not i'm going to get a seat for that yet um they they just closed up cfp at the end of last month so i got my fingers crossed for that but other than that um uh, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be here. And I think I've, uh, I mean, I've uh, plugged the emerging threats community, yeah. you know, talked about the malware bazaar, talked about any dot run, talked about uh, the triage sandbox service. I even, you guys were even nice enough to let me talk about the books I wrote. So I was really happy. I'm thankful for that. But uh, um, all in all, this has just been a great experience. I don't think I have anything else to add. Well, we were so glad to have you here and thanks for everything you do for the community. Cause it, you're a huge contributor. And thank you both for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. And uh, we, we're we definitely going to share everything in our show notes. So links to your book uh, or books. Uh, and then, of course, we definitely want to keep up with that Proofpoint blog that's coming out. So I hope our listeners stick around for that. But thank you, Tony, so much for being with us today. And thank you, Tim, as well. Um, be sure, uh, Breaking Bad listeners, to, to stick around next week or come back next week, rather, for another great episode of Breaking Bad. Thanks so much. So long, everyone. Bye-bye. Take care. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.